Hey everyone, just a quick heads up before we jump into this incredible conversation with B. Dixon of The Honeypot Company. If you are listening to this episode with children present, please note it does contain some uncensored swearing. Don't just throw money at shit because you got bread in the fucking bank. You're going to need that fucking bread, right? And if you do have money in the bank, don't be afraid to go and get yourself a line of credit because banks are willing to give you a line of credit if you've got money in the bank. And then you use that line of credit to buy inventory. Have you ever woken up from a dream with a really good idea? This is exactly what happened to B. Dixon, founder of The Honeypot Company, when she connected with her late grandmother during a dream and woke up with a miracle formulation for her first product. You're about to hear how B. turned her dream into a reality with a lot of hard work, grit, and focus. She shares her experience raising venture capital and why you don't always need it, the value of going with the flow, and why entrepreneurship is never as glamorous as what it looks like on social media. Coming up, you'll hear Bee's early challenges while growing the Honeypot Company and how her past experience taught her to juggle many things. Why Bee doesn't like to dwell on her mistakes, but rather be grateful for them. The importance of only focusing on what you can control. She shares how her vision for the company has changed over the years and how the landscape is getting even bigger why investing in your team is incredibly important, especially when you're growing fast. She shares her experience raising venture capital and her best tips for getting started. And finally, B shares how her role has evolved over the years. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Bea, we are so excited to sit down and chat with you today all about your story and journey, your entrepreneurial journey. You founded the Honeypot Company in 2014, and I heard that your idea for this came to you in a dream. Is that true? Yes, it did. I would love to hear that story. I had an almost year-long bacterial vaginosis infection, like nothing that I tried worked. You know, I went to the doctor, I took medicine, I was on Google, I put all kinds of things in my vagina, I just wanted relief, and every door that I opened, I wasn't able to find anything. But one morning, my grandmother came to me in a dream, and she basically told me that she had been walking with me and seeing me struggle. The thing to note is that my grandmother passed when my mother was a young child, so I, I've never met her in this life. Mm. And in the dream, we're just sitting down at a table talking. She handed me a piece of paper. She told me that I needed to memorize what was on the paper, you know, as you can expect. In the dream, I'm trying to talk to her because I've never met her before, you know? And she just went on to tell me that that wasn't the reason why she came. She didn't come for us to vibe, right? She came <laughs> to give me a message. And she told me that I needed to memorize what was on the paper because we weren't going to be there long, right? We were in another dimension. Like, you're not going to be here long. So you have to get this. And so that's what I did. I just kept reading the ingredients over and over again. 
And I was sitting at the table across from her and I just kind of see her like, yes, that's what you need to do. You know, somebody like, yeah, baby, you got it, you know? And then when I woke up, I literally woke up saying all those ingredients. I woke up from the dream, like lavender, coconut oil, apple cider, you know, like I woke up saying the ingredients and then I wrote them down and I made them within a couple of days. And then, (laughs) you know, like four to five days after that, I was using it for like four or five days. And then I realized that everything that I was dealing with, it went away. Wow. So I have a question about this dream because I feel like I have dreams all the time. And then I wake up and I have all these ideas and I cannot remember anything by the time that I woke up. Did you wake up in the middle of the night and write this down or was it in the morning? And how did you remember it? Because I feel like so many great ideas do come to us in our dreams and they fade so quickly. So how did you remember? Well, I am a lucid dreamer. Okay. So like, I don't know if it's just because of who I am naturally. I'm a very, even when I wasn't really conscious of my awareness as a human, as conscious as I am now, that's probably the better way to put it, right? Mm -hmm. I always have been somebody who just dreams a lot. And I'm the kind of dreamer that like, when I'm asleep and I'm dreaming, (laughs) I know that I'm asleep and I'm dreaming and I can like wake up in the middle of the night, go pee, drink some water, go back to sleep and go right back into the dream. It's crazy. Like I'm watching a movie. And that particular dream happened in the morning. And I was so, I was so awake in the dream that it wasn't like I was asleep. Does that make sense? It was like, I was asleep, but it was so real, Yeah, you know, that it, it just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. That's definitely very incredible. Have you made any other business decisions since you started the business based on dreams you've had? Yes, I have. Yeah. I can't tell you what they are at this <laughs> moment, but business decisions come to me all kinds of ways. You know, I'm not, we do a lot of things off of data, right? But when I think to all of the products that we make, which is a lot, right? And there's a lot coming. Like when I think about that, my process for making these things, sometimes they come to me in dreams, not in the same way that this dream happened, you know, but kind of in a similar way. I don't know how to describe it, but you know, it can come to me in a dream. It can come to me based on an issue that I have going with my own vagina and I figured out how to do it. And I'm like, oh shit, I should make a product out of this, you know, or, you know, it just depends, but not only with the company, It can just be with my personal life. I guess I'm just connected to the unconscious things and I make a practice out of it, you know? So yeah, things come to me all kinds of ways. Take us back to 2014 when you launched the company. How did you know Mm -hmm. what to do in those early days? Where'd you start? I didn't know what to do. (laughs) First off, I just want to say that because nobody knows what to do. So true. Especially if you've never done it before. But I think that that's the beauty in it. You know, I think that the beauty is in not knowing because when you don't know, you don't limit yourself based on what you know. You know, like you're just willing to do anything to get you to where you're going or to where you think that you're going. Mm But I didn't know what to do. I just guessed at it. You know, back then, it didn't feel right to sell Honey Pot if it had only worked on me, right? The funnest parts about being in startup life is the beginning times. You know, when <laughs> when everything is fresh and exciting and you really don't know your way, but then you figure out your way and things start to work and things start to unfold and then you fail and then you learn, right? And then you just, and then the things that you learn, you keep doing that, but then you're trying new things 
that really never changes, but there's something special about those beginning days, you know? And, you know, so what I did in the beginning is I gave the product away because I wanted to make sure that it didn't only just work for me. You know, I wanted to make sure that other women that use the product, which was then just the wash, I wanted to make sure that whether people had an issue or didn't have an issue, whether, you know, I found out that you could use our wash. Like I had a woman that used our wash on her little girl because every time she went to wash her baby with her baby soap, the baby didn't want her mommy to wash her vagina, right? Because she said it was itchy because that product wasn't made for her vagina, even though she's got a little tiny baby vagina, right? And so by giving it away, there were so many learnings, right? Like even when you even go past that, it was like, what kind of bottle do I put this in? I didn't have a clue. I didn't know how you even buy bottles. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just asking friends. Google, man. (laughs) Container and packaging supply was my very first, um, was my very first manufacturer, supplier, like raw component, not raw ingredient, but raw component supplier. That was my very first one, you know? And, you know, I, I, cause I was putting it in a bottle that has like a pop cap top, you know, when I didn't even know how to do that, I was putting the shit in mason jars, <laughs> right? Like I didn't know, I just had to figure it out, you know, but that was the beauty in it that you kind of had to work for what you wanted to learn. You couldn't just you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was beautiful and it, and it was fun. And, and I really showed myself what I'm capable of mentally, you know, and I think that everybody does that, you know, you, you and your partner did that. Right. So what was your background prior to starting your business? And were you still working a corporate job while you were starting this company? Like, how did you know when you could go all in? I wouldn't call it corporate. So my background, sorry if I'm breathing heavy, you guys. Oh, no worries. I I just took my pop. I hope I don't sound crazy. But so my very first real job was right out of high school. I worked as a pharmacy technician. I worked at, not Aetna, I worked at, um, at Cigna. And they had a retail pharmacy and this is before it was like, you know, it, it was before you had to be a certified pharmacy technician to be a pharmacy technician. And I did that for almost 10 years. But the dope thing was, is that I worked in all types of pharmacy. I worked in hospitals. I worked in IV rooms. I worked in narcotic rooms. I worked in like chemo or, you know, like cancer clinics where they had their own internal pharmacy. So I, you know, I was the pharmacy tech that batched up the chemo before they gave it to their patient, right? And so, so I did that. I think that was the time that I learned the math that you have to do in order to formulate something, if you will, right? Because if you have a little vial of medicine, of liquid medicine that has to go into an IV bag, right? You have to know the math to figure out your dose that you have to pull out of this vial to put into that bag. And that is really what a lot of times how chemistry is done, right? It's, it's, it's done through understanding the science of the chemicals, whether they're toxic or non-toxic, but also understanding the math on how much to put inside of this thing, right? And so I did that. I got tired of doing that. So I then went to work at Whole Foods <laughs> and I worked in their whole body department, which if you think about it is like Whole Foods pharmacy, right? In a way. 
It's like an apothecary type of pharmacy because they're dealing with plants and herbs and supplements, right? But it, it was around the same kind of a vibe, you know? So I did that for like two or three years. And then I went to work as a food broker, which was the next step up from working as a merchandiser buyer at the store level, right? So when I worked at Whole Foods, if you came into Whole Foods, you were my customer. When I went to work and what Whole Foods taught me is how to treat customers, right? Because when I was working at Whole Foods, that shit was the shit, right? I mean, they really invested in their employees. I don't know if they still do now, but when I was there, they did. They sent us on health emergence. They sent us to farms to learn about plants and herbs. They sent us to startups or they brought startups in to talk about their herbs and their plants and how they put together their supplements and you, you know what I mean? And their products. And so then I went to be a food broker. What I learned there is how to talk to a buyer, right? Because that's what, when I became a food broker, it wasn't you, the customer that was my customer. It was Whole Foods that became my customer, right? And then, and then I went to work at Rhythm Superfoods, which is a startup and they sell kale chips and basically dehydrated vegetable snacks, right? And so that taught me how to work at a startup, but then it also taught me to continue to learn how to develop relationships with buyers and merchandisers and things like that. But it also helped me to understand the workings that have to happen at a startup because it's small and it's nimble, right? And when I was a broker, I worked for a bunch of startups. So that taught me how to like juggle a bunch of things. Now, the thing to keep in mind here is that from Whole Foods all the way to Rhythm Superfoods, which was my last job ever. So that's from 2012 to like 2017, 2018. I'm super present. So I don't remember what year it was that I did this full time. It, it's not important to me. So for six years, I had a full-time job where I traveled for at least two to three weeks out of the month, I had to kind of go back and forth and doing different kinds of things. So I had a full-time job. We were running Honey Pop full-time, you know, and then obviously I had all my personal stuff. You know, I, I didn't have the, and I'm not saying this to say that Stephanie and Courtney, that you guys had the resources to do that because you may not have. <laughs> Right. I can't say that. I'm just telling you, I was and still am the breadwinner of my family. Right. And I didn't have anybody. I had one person, my brother, who, if I needed help financially, could have helped. But and he's my co-founder. But you can't do that all the time. So I didn't have the ability to be able or the luxury to be able to say, let me quit this so I can do this full time. I just I didn't have it. So I had to figure out how to do that shit, you know. But I think that it made me better because not better in a comparison to you ladies, but it made me better personally because it made me build a muscle to having to juggle to all these different kinds of balls that were in the air, you know, because, you know, just like I know when your business starts to take off, it's like you got fucking six jobs, right? Especially when it's just you, you know, and it was me, Cy, Antoinette, Linda, and then we had people that helped, right? But it was us four running a business. And I was the first one outside of Antoinette to quit my job and come in full time once we were well into Target. I think we were like six months into Target when I was just like, you know, I can't, like, I just can't live this double life anymore, you know? What were some of the biggest mistakes you made in those first few years? Girl, I get asked that question 
all the time. And my answer may not give you the answer that you want, but me spending time on the mistakes I made aren't really conducive to anybody, I think. I think the thing to pull, it's not useful information in my opinion. What I think is useful is that whatever mistakes happen, it's your perspective of how you look at them, right? (laughs) Because I still make mistakes. We still make mistakes. We will always make mistakes. Nothing will ever fucking go the way that it is planned. Not never, ever fucking ever. You understand what I'm saying? We can make fucking to-do lists till we're blue in the face. There's no goddamn way that you're going to get through that damn to-do list. It's impossible, right? You can have the objectives and dreams of what you want your team to do. You can have your goals. You can do all the things, but it's never going to go exactly as planned, right? 10 monkey wrenches are going to come in You have to be, in my opinion, you have to be willing to understand what you can control and what you can't, right? Whatever you can't control, (laughs) I hate to say it, but you kind of got to die to the shit and you got to focus on what you can control, right? And hopefully for the things that you can't control, there's at least something within those things that you can manage your way through and learn from, right? And build on and be honest about and not have any ego about and not need to be right about, right? You have to use those things that you can't control as mechanisms. They're literally just fucking education. Totally. We we call them learning lessons. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I could go, I could list a million things that I made mistakes on, but none of that shit matters. All that matters is that we're still here and I'm grateful for mistakes. Is there a particular moment looking back that you are most proud of? That's so funny. I don't think of them as proud, if I'm honest. Courtney, I just go with the flow, man. None of this is about proud for me. I'm grateful for them. I'm happy to have the opportunities. However, if I'm not reaching for excellency, what the fuck am I doing, right? If I'm not trying to be, and I'm talking about personally, like my personal goals for this company. If I'm not trying to be the best on the shelf, If I'm not trying to be the leanest with our business, if I'm not trying to think outside the box, if I'm not trying to get to a ridiculously absurd fucking exit, right? If I'm not raising the money that I have to raise so that we can get this shit done, there's nothing about any of those things to me that are extraordinary. I'm not an extraordinary fucking human because I'm doing something that I am choosing to do, right? Because I've raised money, because our washes are like the number one washes in grocery, like not even in grocery, just in just period. I'm not saying that as ego food. I'm just saying, if that's not my goal, what the fuck am I doing? I don't deserve a merit or an award for that. That's what you do all this shit for, right? What else have I sacrificed, given up so much? Why else have I put so much work in? Why else do I feed this so much? Why else do I give this everything, right? So proud for me isn't the word. I'm I'm just grateful to be here. And I want to be the fucking best whoever did it. Not because I want to feed my ego, just because if I'm not thinking that way, what am I doing? Why am I even here? It's stupid, you know? Has your vision for the company changed since you started it? Or have you always set out with the same vision in mind? Yeah, it's changed based on my understanding and based on the things that I've been able to see, right? I mean, once you see something, you can't unsee it. Once you experience something, you can't not experience it, (laughs) right? 
Also, it's changed just because the landscape just keeps getting bigger, right? So yeah, it's changed. What is your vision now? In the beginning, when I didn't know anything about raising money or any of those things, I just wanted to get this product out, right? Like I just wanted other people's vaginas to have the same experience (laughs) that I was having, right? I just wanted people to not have to suffer there just because simply the chemistry of what's happening with their vagina and their pH and what they're using on a daily basis. I just wanted people to be able to have access to products that work for them, yeah. right? That has not changed. I still want that. But the day that I decided and we decided to raise venture capital money, (laughs) shit gets real then. Mm. Because a venture capitalist is not interested in a legacy brand that (laughs) the company that they invested in, they're not interested in you owning that for the rest of your life. For the most part, most venture capitalists are not, which is why they call it a venture capitalist. (laughs) right? Venture capitalists are interested in, I'm going to give you some money right now. And when the fuck am I going to get my money back? And by the way, that shit needs to 5X, 6X, 10X plus, right? The day that me and Cy decided to do that was the day that shit had to change, right? And and we knew that it had to change because we had already done a friends and family round. Family and friends round is typically people who may be your family, may be your friends, may just be people that you're connected to that have a high net worth, right? But even they, some of those people have just had a savings account. Some of those people just figured out how to do well in their life, but they're not interested in their 150,000, 200,000, 300,000. They're not, or their 50,000 or their 20,000. They're not interested in that shit just being out there all day. They need a return on that investment, right? So the day that that happened was the day that we had to really think to what is our end in mind? Why are we doing this? When you're raising money, you have to answer that question. Otherwise, what is the investor buying into, right? Yeah, so once all these things happen, you know, shit gets real. Coming up. Why you shouldn't raise venture capital unless you really need it. Take us back to, okay, so you made the decision to raise money. What was that process like? How long did it take you to raise the money? And any tips you can share about that process? Because many of our listeners are thinking about potentially raising money. And I know it's not easy. No, it's not easy no matter who you are, it's not easy. You know, the narrative that is being put out into the media is that it's only hard. (laughs) It is extra hard if you are Black and if you are a female or if you were just a person of color, right? But it wouldn't fucking matter if you were a white man who lived in San Francisco, right? It might be a little tiny bit easier for you, (laughs) but raising money is hard. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care if you have a penis or a vagina. It's just hard. It's arduous. It's invasive. It's stressful. It teaches you how to die to your ego. You have to have thick skin. You cannot get caught up in your feelings. You have to be okay with getting a million fucking no's before you get even half of a yes. And you have to know that even when you get a yes, that yes doesn't matter until that fucking money is in your bank account. Right? So true. When you say it's invasive, what are the types of questions they were asking you? I mean, it can be invasive depending on who you're dealing with, especially in the beginning if they're not a savvy investor, because your vagina may come up, your skin color may come up, right? Your being a woman 
or you're being a man or you're being or whatever, your experience is going to come up. Your capacity to be able to do the thing that you know that you can do, which is why we're even fucking here, is going to come up, right? Them getting into the nitty tiny gritty of your business, of every fucking transaction that you make. You saying that I've made $200,000 on my own. I would like to raise a million dollars. And I think my company is worth $10 million. That shit's cute, but an investor isn't going for that shit. How is your company worth 10 million if you've only made a quarter of a million, right? And when have you ever done this? It's invasive, right? Because especially when you know that there's people out there that are raising money who haven't made a fucking penny Mm -hmm. and they're getting zillion dollar valuation, right? It puts you in your feelings. And the unfortunate thing about these conversations is fuck your feelings. Fuck your feelings. I don't give a fuck about your feelings. This is my money, right? This is how I think. And I'm. this is the investor talking, mm-hmm. right? This is the experience I have. And you've never done this. So I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you've never done this, right? You think your valuation is 10. I think that shit is four. How about that, right? Do you want my money or do you not? And the other reason why it's invasive is because you're desperate for their money. Mm -hmm. especially if you have the same mentality I do about raising money. I don't think you should raise money until you fucking need money. So you got a reason for it. Don't just raise money to just try to throw money at shit. Cause that's just not the way that things are done now. If I'm honest, there's some people that can get away with that. And the realistic thing is I'm not saying don't try, try it. Right. But in my opinion, it is better to raise money when you've got a big fish on the hook because then it won't be such an uphill battle of you trying to justify your valuation, of you trying to justify what you're worth, of you trying to justify the fact that you know what you're doing. If you've managed to figure, and I can only speak to my type of business, but if you've managed to figure out how to get a target to bite, they want it, they're interested because you've walked the battle, right? If you know how to talk to a target and get them to say yes, Okay. But even in that circumstance, (laughs) they still not going to give you what you want. And that's the thing that you have to realize when it comes to raising money, you're never going to fucking get what you want. Right. And the goal is, is that they don't get what they want either. Mm. Neither one of us are comfortable. (laughs) Right. So some people are more lucky than that than others. Right. There's definitely people out there getting what they want. And I think another thing to realize is when we think about the state of venture capital. And this was a thing that always bothered me. My competitors, who are still my competitors, I mean, they were coming out the fucking gate raising millions of dollars, right? And me and Cy were having a hard time raising one. And that used to fuck with me. But I was worried about the wrong shit because it doesn't matter. That was their way. That was their luck. That was their fortune. But the thing to realize, which... Anybody that's listening understands what I'm talking about. The thing to realize is the grass is not greener on that side. If they're raising zillions of dollars out the gate, that means that they are selling more of their company out the fucking gate, right? And when those companies get to exit, and I'm not, I don't know, I'm not even speaking about any specific company. I am talking in general. Those founders may only own 5% of their company, 2%. Whereas if you are forced to not be able to raise the money that you want or that you think you want, 
What it does is it forces you to understand your business. It forces you to be lean. It forces you to think about shit before you do it. I think that there is something beautiful about not being able or not even, I don't want to say being able. When I say being able, meaning that you've tried and tried and tried, and this is just what's showing up, right? Not that you're not capable of it because we all are. But we, but I think what's important for us to remember is that whatever's in the cards for you is what's in the fucking cards. And you just got to play the game. Don't get caught up in the game. Pay attention and be aware of what's happening with you personally. If you aren't able to do something, if something is not happening, that means that you got to take a different turn and go to a different road. And that's okay, right? But just keep your eye on the ball because if that's what you really want, you're going to get there eventually. But there's nothing wrong with not being able to raise the amount of money that you think that you should have, right? And, and as a matter of fact, die to fucking should have. Die to supposed to, right? Forget about that shit. If you're a Black woman and you're trying to raise money and you walk into these rooms to talk to these investors, don't talk about your vagina. Don't talk about the fact that you're fucking Black. Don't even bring up the disparity. You go in that room and you sell the shit out of your company, right? And you sell the shit out of, of, of how you know it, right? And you and you just you just keep doing that, and you just keep getting better and better and better at that. And eventually, it's gonna come, and it's gonna come at the right time. You know, it. it I, I really feel to say this because you know I can, I even feel emotional about it because I understand, you know. But I'm so grateful for how everything played out because we know our business, right? We can't. It is fucking impossible for us to just throw money at shit. It is impossible. We just can't do it. And it's better because that is a business. That is a business when you know it, when you haven't had to raise money. And don't make me wrong. For If you're in the consumer packaged goods field, eventually your ass is going to have to raise some money if you really want to grow, right? So don't be afraid of that. You have to get out here. You have to do it. And, the, and in the beginning, it's hard. But the more you raise money, the more you get comfortable with it. And when you're the founder of your company, it's just a part of your job. It just becomes easier like everything yeah. else. It sounds like even after you've raised money, you still have that startup mentality where every dollar counts. What do you choose to invest in knowing that every dollar counts? What's worth it? And what do you think is just not worth the investment that other people who raise millions of dollars just throw money at? Investing in your team is massively important. Again, I can only speak to my type of business. You guys can speak to a service-based business, right? I can't speak to that, you know, but invest. If you're in a consumer packaged good space, like I am, one of the first places that you need to invest in, and this is once your company is scaling, when you know that it's about to scale, like you know that you're about to get into a major retailer, right? Or you figured out how to be a million dollar direct to consumer business. Like you have figured that shit out, right? You need to hire and build your operations team. And that doesn't necessarily mean at the beginning that you're hiring a COO, a chief operations officer. Don't get crazy with titles. Don't be afraid of a director and a manager, you know, and a vice president. Like that's okay, right? It's actually better that you not dole out chief titles until you're able to really hire fucking chiefs who have done this, who are experts, who did it for years and years and years. When it's time for you to hire a chief, you can fucking pay somebody a six-figure salary because that's how much money chiefs make, right? 
If you haven't afforded yourself to be able to pay somebody a six-figure salary, right? And this is just an employee. There's two scenarios, right? There's you're handing out a chief title because you have a co-founder who is actually a fucking chief, right? <laughs> and they know what they're doing. And they've gone to school for it and they've done the jobs and they have the expertise, right? And y'all have equity together and y'all are running at this, how you're running at it, right? That's appropriate chief title. Inappropriate chief title is I have somebody on the team and they're doing all my social media. And this isn't a personal thing. I'm not, I'm not making like a personal example. I'm just trying to give you guys an example because we have made, we've made some of these mistakes before, right? And they seem to be good at marketing. So I'm going to call them a CMO. That's not what a CMO is, <laughs> right? A CMO has fucking been in marketing for many, many, many years. They know how to scale a company. They understand how to find performance marketers. They understand a CMO isn't doing that work, actually. A CMO knows how to fucking manage the humans and knows the humans that they need on their team to do that shit. That's what a CMO does, right? A COO, a COO knows how to build a supply chain team, right? A COO knows that they need multiple, if, depending on how the big the business is, they need a buyer. They need, a, they need somebody that understands, um, they need somebody that understands how to fucking work with a manufacturer. They need to understand how to build terms. They need to understand how to build inventory, right? They, a chief, a COO knows how to hold, knows how to operate a fucking multi-million dollar CPG, consumer packaged goods company. A COO is not just a person who, who's going to your manufacturer and buying your shit. That's not what a COO is. That is some, that is a planner, right? So your team is important. And your leadership team, more specifically, because your leadership team is who builds those internal teams. And you as the CEO are there to manage your leadership team. Does that make sense? Such great advice. So team is important. Product innovation pipeline. That's some shit that people don't know, right? If you've managed to get your product on a shelf at a retailer, right? Every year, you're going to be meeting with that retailer every fucking year. It's called a category review season. Every time you go to sit down with that fucking buyer, you better be showing them something new. You better be. You got to be. And again, this goes back to your team. One of the people in an operations team, right, in the operating team, helps with innovation. That person literally owns innovation. They And this just happens normally years in the making, right? With, with resources and finances. But had we known this, right? We, we just would have went about it different, but I'm, I'm grateful for it, right? But a COO is not, and I want to say this too, a COO, because I used to think that a COO meant that they operated the teams. No, a COO in consumer packaged goods operates the packaged goods, that's what they do, right? So innovation and product. If, you, if you're raising money, making sure that you back up the fucking science on that product. That means if you, if you have a food, if you have a beverage, if, and really if you have a skincare product, pay the money to get clinicals on that shit so you understand what it is. Investing in the quality to understand what's happening at your manufacturers. All the shit I'm saying right now is once you raise some money, um, and, and, and a quality team is a person that goes 
to your manufacturers and say, hey, manufacturer A, let me see all of your quality. Let me see all of your standards, all of your practices, all of your everything. I want to understand how you test. I want to understand how you formulate. I want to understand what kind of pipes you're using. I want to understand where your fucking water is coming from right? This is how many levels come to this shit, you know? And, 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 and it, and again, this is when you're raising money, when you haven't raised money, you know, you, 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 you need to be raising, you need to be trying to make enough money so that you can raise money. And this is why you must raise money. You guys, a lot of people are afraid to, and I'm talking about in my business, a lot of people are afraid to raise money. But the real reason why you raise capital is because there's so much shit to invest in. Honestly, if you can figure out, if you can manage and you can make a product that costs you a dollar to make, but you can sell it for, for 10 or 20 or 30 or 100, you have margin there. You may not need to raise money, right? But if you're trying to sell to a retailer, if your product costs a dollar or if your product costs two and you got to sell it to that retailer for five, and then that retailer got to sell it to their fucking person for $9.99 or 10 because they got to make a 40, 50, 60% margin. Honey, you got to raise some money because you got to live off of a couple dollars per unit. And that's not a lot of money. And the things that you have to do to really grow and scale your business, to be a responsible company is crazy, you know? And I didn't even know this. I mean, I've just learned it through inception, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know? Thank you so much for, for sharing all of this because you're just such a wealth of knowledge having gone through this whole experience and then being willing to, to share this with so many other women who are thinking about raising money and they're you know early in their business and not sure what they should do. So thank you so much for sharing this. This is so, so helpful. And I always appreciate people sharing things in a very direct and honest way. So thank you. <laughs> you're keeping it real. <laughs> like we all didn't, Beth and Courtney, y'all didn't have people to tell you how to do this shit, you know, like, and we made mistakes that we needed to make when we were coming up doing this, not that we're so old, but just with this whole age of having all these talks and conversations and, the, and investment and all that shit, this shit is actually kind of new just in the past couple of years, you know? And, and so I'm always willing to, when asked these questions, to answer them responsibly and honestly, you know, because it's important for people to understand, like, this shit is not glamorous, bro. It's not. It is not. Not That's when you're what really we say, doing yep. this. Yep. This shit is not cute, man. It's not what you see. It's not what's depicted, you know? And even my competitors that are raising zillions and zillions and zillions of fucking dollars, right? Even them. This shit ain't pretty for them either, right? And you asked earlier, can I just say one more thing? What not to invest your money in? Give a fuck about what you're doing. When you're buying your customers, I don't give a shit if you've raised zillions of dollars. Don't just throw money at buying your customers and just focusing on top line growth, right? Because in this, I don't even want to call it post-COVID world, but in this COVID society, right? When you're raising money, like, you know, and I'm not saying that we're here yet, but like profitability matters, man. Positive EBITDA matters, right? What you're doing matters. I'm not saying that top line growth doesn't matter because it does matter. But don't think just because you got 10, $20 million in the bank that it's just okay to go out here and spend a bunch of fucking money on ads. It's okay to spend the money on the ads, but you don't have to start massive. You can literally start small 
figure out what worked and then grow it from there, right? When you get into a retailer, y'all, I'm just telling you this shit from experience. It don't really take, it takes money to grow in retail, but it does not cost what it costs to grow as a direct-to-consumer business. It just doesn't. You don't have to throw money, like, you want to you wanna invest in their marketing and things like that, but you want to go hard in investing in marketing if you're in all doors or 60% of them. Don't be in fucking 250 doors spending thirty dollars and $40,000 on a fucking ad program when that thirty dollars or $40,000 isn't being used against all of their doors or 60% of their doors. Or you understand what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. Take the money and invest in external programs, right? With the goal of getting more doors in the following year. And when you're, if your buyer is coming to you saying, you know, we really want you to do this, this and that, be like, look, I'll take the money and I'll, I'll invest it in ads. I'd rather invest in ads and geolocate those ads based on the doors that I'm in, right? I'd rather take money and, and, and invest it in this influencer network, right? I'd rather take money <laughs> and go to Entreprenista and fucking be a sponsor, right? Because a lot of people fucking listen to podcasts. Lots of people do, right? And it's not as expensive to invest in a podcast as you may fucking think. So you have to think when it, you don't have to spend just the fucking spend. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. It does not cost. It can cost, but it doesn't have to. Be clever about it, Right. Don't just throw money at shit because you got bread in the fucking bank. You're going to need that fucking bread, right? And if you do have money in the bank, don't be afraid to go and get yourself a line of credit because banks are willing to give you a line of credit if you've got money in the bank. And then you use that line of credit to buy inventory, right? Things that, you know, that, that are just consistent. And then you use your money over here to invest in your people, you know, to, um, to, to hire those quality teams to, you know, you may have to use it to invest in inventory, right? Um, you know, you may have to use it for marketing, but there's also really dope companies out there that fucking, there's factoring companies that, and I can't think of the one, there's factoring companies out there that will factor based on your fucking digital sales. Like there's so many ways to skin a cat. Skin that fucking cat, man. Just cause you got money in the bank. Don't just be out here spending money just to spend money. A million dollars is a fucking million dollars. I don't give a fuck what you say. You know, and when you have money in the bank, it's like, oh, it's just a million dollars. No, it's not just a million fucking dollars. A million dollars got there a million dollars and you can do a lot with that shit. Up next. B shares some exciting launches coming up for her brand, plus a rapid fire Q&A. All right, Bede, so this is our new segment we've been doing. It is our rapid fire question. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions. The first thing that pops into your mind, we're going to do this super fast. You ready? All right. Describe yourself in three words. Happy, present, willing. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Learning how to make pasta from scratch. Ah, I like that. <laughs> what is your most used emoji when you text? The heart. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> what app on your phone can you not live without? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm not an app person. Let me see. WhatsApp, because I talked to somebody that's very special to me on that. Aww. What is something someone would be surprised to learn about you or maybe a hidden talent? That I'm actually an introvert. <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Honestly, my superpower would be like really fucking knowing how to turn my brain off. 
like mm. really know how to do it. That would be a good one. What does a typical day look like when you're not working? Quiet. What do you like to do for fun? Honestly, I'm like such an adult. I <laughs> I like to water and mist my plants. I like to keep my house clean. I want to cook like a beautiful meal, hang out with my mommy or my boyfriend or my brother or just my family and friends. I'm actually super chill, man. I'm a homebody too. Like I just want to be cozy, you know? I hear you. I'm definitely, definitely the same way. Were you working from home before the pandemic? Yes, I've been working from home for so many years, like, or from the road. I actually have an office, but I I don't even go to my own office. (laughs) (laughs) Any tips you can share in terms of maintaining a remote culture since you've essentially been doing it for so long? Keep your space clean and neat and organized. How big is your team now? Like 20 people, 22 or 20, something like that. I don't even remember. (laughs) What is your day-to-day now and your role in the company? And has that changed since you have raised money? Yes and no, hasn't really changed. I mean, I'm the CEO, so I manage the leadership team. But, you know, they're really managing themselves. I'm just here to kind of facilitate and also pretty much run the company, right? I mean, we're all here to run the company. I'm just the person that you guys know what I'm saying. Yep, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> It feels weird to say. That's why I don't want to even finish that thought. And I'm the head of innovation. So I, I, I'm I, the person that comes up with all the types of products that we sell and that we will sell in the future. And I'm actually the face of the company too. So I have like three jobs. It sounds like a lot of very fun things. I know all a lot of hard work, but... I can tell that you enjoy doing it. So what are some of the new innovative products? What is next? What can we expect to see? Oh, man, we have, I can talk about them now because we're like (laughs) a couple weeks away. So we we have a non-herbal line of all the pads. Right now, we just have an herbal menstrual pad line. That's like your traditional regular super overnight and panty liner. So we'll have a non-herbal line of those. All of our pads are going to be organic now. So not just clean cotton, but certified organic. We have an incontinence line coming out in herbal and non-herbal. We have a heavy flow pad that's also herbal and non-herbal. We have a new wash, wipe, and panty spray coming out, but I'll let everybody wait to see that. We have a new lubricant line. Um, We're actually upgrading the scents not upgrading, but just like, just made it smell more beautiful. So our jasmine is now going to be jasmine frankincense and our lavender is now going to be lavender rose. Yeah, we have quite a bit of products (laughs) that are coming. What is your favorite mantra or that describes your work ethic? Work ethic is I'm a fucking force of nature. Like I'm a monster when it comes to work. It's, It's unbelievable the amount of work I'm able to pump out, I think. And I'm not even trying to toot a horn. I'm just stating facts. But a mantra I live by, which I heard Osho say it, that the only time is now and the only place is here. I love that. I actually have here now on my on my hands. It's all <laughs> so we can, have. Like, it's it is true. It's all, it's all we have. Finally, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It means everything to me because it's who I am. Thank you so, so much for sharing your journey and story with us, with all of our listeners. We are honored to to hear it and be part of your journey and can't wait to follow you and see everything that you're going to continue to accomplish. So thank you so, so much, B. We truly appreciate it. 
No, thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and my team is grateful. Thank you. Where can everyone find you, follow you on social media, and of course, buy your products? Yeah, so for our products, you can find us at The Honeypot Co. Our website is thehoneypot.co or even thehoneypot.com. What I would recommend is that you go on our website, go to our store locator, put in your zip code, and it will tell you all the retailers that we're in, but we're literally in all the big ones. You know, we're in Target, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Wegmans, Myers, Stop and Shop. Yeah, I can go Kroger. They're everywhere. <laughs> and then you can find me at I am B Dixon. That's spelled B-E-A-D-I-X-O-N. Thank you so much, B. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.